Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. Today we're going to talk about micromanagement. Uh, this is a thing we love to knee-jerk reactions say, this is bad. I got some thoughts, everybody. Um, it's really interesting when you have like, I've been really thinking about a thing that I call my leadership compass, right? And I've been really trying to find my voice as a leader over the last bunch of years. And just like a stand-up comedian, just like a musician, I, I wouldn't claim to understand what those are, but I hear them talk all the time about finding your voice, right? So you have to do stuff that's true and authentic to you. If you copy some other's leadership style, there may be traits that are good, but if you whole, if you whole cloth copy somebody else's style, just like marketing, it will come off as disingenuous. So honestly, over the last couple of years, and this is something that I'm, I'm really decompressing with, I've really been trying to find my own voice as a leader. I've been getting a lot of traction with it. Um, I do believe true leadership and management is a, is a lifelong learning process, but I really got my feet underneath me. And uh, you can tell by the happiness, the longevity, and the, um, uh, and the results of your team by how you're doing. So, okay, Lauren Fink, good morning. Robert Galensky, how are you, my friend? John Pritt, the Prittster, uh, who is just at the retreat. Dude, one of the most substantial humans I have ever met, John Pritt. If you've not met John Pritt, that dude is a force of nature. So, all right, before, thanks everybody watching on Instagram too, LinkedIn as well. Um, before we get going today, we're gonna talk about micromanagement and why I think it might not be a bad thing. But first, we're going to talk about the PCA Expo. Like, we literally have about a week, right? We literally have about a week before we go to the Expo. I know you guys. I know my house painters. I know my industry. There's going to be a lot of people who walk up to the door and don't register previous. That's absolutely fine. There's tons of hotels. There's tons of Airbnbs. We're business owners. We make it happen. I would urge you guys to help us get headcounts for food and things to register. So, the PCA Expo is our Super Bowl that's coming up in about a week. Uh, me and the team, we're putting in hundreds and thousands of hours to get ready for this thing. All the speakers, all the food, all the events, uh, the parties at night, um, just things like that. are It's going to be absolutely amazing. So I will tell you guys, it's never going to be easy to leave your families and businesses. It's never going to be easy to outlay the time and the money that it is to do something like this. But we'll drop 3,500 bucks on a paint sprayer like nothing. And it costs about a thousand bucks for a week of food, for a week of content, for a week of nights of parties. This is about the best, this is about the best money you can spend. Not about the best. This is the best money that you're going to spend on yourself in 2024. If you do this, and you don't think it's the best money you spent on yourself in 2024, you get a hold of me personally, nick at nickslavic.com, and I will make sure it's worth your money. So big favor to me, everybody. Join me in the expo. Uh, the PCA has completely changed my life. I have a closing speech this year. Um, I'm going to tell you a story that I've never told anybody else before um, at the expo. It's going to be my closing speech. And I don't know if I'm going to release it to the public, it's probably going to be only for my people who are there. Um, it'll be pretty good. It'd be pretty good. So lots of fun things in that. So let us talk about 
micromanagement. Ooh, before we do that, lots of people watching. Right now, everybody, share. Share to your feed, share to your story, share to your favorite uh, painter Facebook groups. Um, let's see, we got Lauren Fink, share it to Women in Paint. Uh, we got Rick Mixell, Bill Howland, Dylan, uh, share Oscar, share to the painter uh, groups. Get it out there, guys. Share this thing because this is a really fun topic. This is something that um, I'm really self-conscious that I don't do a lot of painting on this anymore. More to follow. There will be some. But um, I really have been leaning into management and leadership, um, really trying to find my voice, really trying to support my people in the best way that needs me. And right now in the season of business that I'm in, um, a lot of what makes or breaks us is going to be management and leadership. And I am the main manager and leader of the company. So uh, I really, 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 really want to get this right. And I've been really focusing on this for a long time. So I present to you Ask a Painter number 403. This is the 403rd episode. Uh, in a row every week uh, that I've been doing, we're going to talk about micromanagement today. If you guys have any questions, if you guys have any um, comments about leadership and management, I mean, leadership and management is nothing more than we have constant turnover in my employees. People are unhappy. The results aren't there and it frustrates us and it's literally the people. So I'm hoping that sound comes through because my friend Matt Kuyper sent me one of the better Instagram reels that I've ever seen. So I'm going to see if I can uh, get this played through my speaker here. I'm going to have to put this down to make sure everything works well. Here we go. Have a listen. All right, folks, what do you think? I hope you heard that stuff. Um, yeah, what do you think? That so this is this is a I love oh shoot, no sound, Lauren. Come on. All right, people, hold on a second here. All right. Audio is no bueno. Dang it. Oh shoot. So sorry, I'm playing it through my computer here. So um sorry, folks. <laughs> shoot. Dang it. Okay. So what they were basically saying is micromanagement is not a bad thing. And some of the best people that they know, um, and you know what I'll do? I will, I will link that. Um, I will link that in the, um, comments here, uh, later on. So sorry about that guys. I've never been able to, I've never been able to play a song or do some audio there and have it linked in there. So we'll, we'll figure it out. Um, so, uh, what they were saying is some of the best businesses, the leaders are very well informed. They are in the weeds. They know what's going on so that when something bad happens or something that's unintended happens, they actually have the data to go and make sure it gets fixed. So this is a feeling I've had for a long time, which is I think either we assume this or it's assumed for us that we're suckers if we work. We're suckers if we paint. We're suckers if we have an office job. We're suckers if we do the estimates, if we project manage, if we do the office coordination, if we do the operations. We're suckers if we do any of that. And the ultimate goal is to not do any of that, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ooh, here we go. Play it through the phone. Good thinking, everybody. 
I'm going to get through here. It is a really good, uh, it is a really good TikTok or it is a really good Instagram reel. So sorry for throwing a little, uh, uh, da, 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 da. is bad is total horseshit the best leaders i know whether they're running trillion dollar companies or million dollar companies are in the weeds on the things that matter most if some president of some other company of our size is not in the weeds i'm gonna run circles around them because i am in the weeds if you were in the weeds when something goes wrong you know why it went wrong and you can make a pivot where if you're two levels removed you don't know why it didn't work and then your decision making of what to do next then relies on second hand and it gets really really messy after that you make really dumb moves whole narrative that micromanagement is bad there. Uh, very, very uh, tactile solution to that sort of thing. So um, that is, so when Matt Kuyper sent me that, thanks for watching Matt, by the way, it's a thought that I've had for a long time, which is like, we're fed this narrative that the only success that we have in business is if you're sipping a blue drink on a beach. And if you think about your business, you're a sucker. And that just never sat well with me, right? I know people who have businesses three, four, five, six times larger than me. And they are operating those businesses daily. They're taking care of their people. They're doing the tasks. They own a job in the business. And maybe their goal is to blue drink on the beach, but they're not suckers for doing their passion, doing what they love. People like these people that I look up to are force multiplier weapons. They are uniquely set out to be managers, operational leaders, CEOs, um, leaders, visionaries, integrators of these companies. And they're not suckers for fulfilling their destiny in this stuff. So I just want, I just want you guys to know that there is a knee jerk reaction in this industry that if you paint, you're a sucker and you're doing it wrong. You are not. I could point you in the direction of half a dozen people that run businesses where they master the craft, they do the work every day. They have more time and money freedom than most people with big businesses. They are super happy and they're uh, creating a real estate empire with the proceeds from that business, right? So it really depends what you want. And I really hope that you guys recenter your thoughts about what this is. Why do I say all this stuff? Because not only are we fed the idea that we're suckers for working in the business, that we absolutely shouldn't micromanage, that we should just show up, we should tell people what to do and they should just do it and everything gets solved for us. That doesn't happen, folks, right? That doesn't happen. You hire a marketing company for your business and just say, here's a, here's a shovel full of money, make it happen for me. Typically doesn't happen, right? Everybody needs a manager, everybody needs accountability. I will tell you this, one of the things I'm gonna talk about at Expo is I did an experiment this last year where I leaned in as hard as anybody's ever leaned in to one of their painting companies of my size and to see how much the actual result is. It's big, right? The truth is you're not a sucker if you do this. You're not a sucker if you do this and you're really good at it. You're actually where you are supposed to be. And the truth of what our industry is, the harder you lean in, you gotta lean in the right way, right? Now we're gonna talk about micromanagement. The harder you lean in, the harder you lean in, the better results it's going to be. The more hands-off you are, the worse results you're going to be. And that is just it. That is just it. So Instagram people, share to your story. Facebook people, give it one more share. And we're going to go deep diving into something that I am super passionate about. So I'm going to go through some. Holy mama, you guys are, uh, whew, the comments are going here. Um, 
people are engaged because they have a passion. And I'm going to go to the next uh, slide here in a little bit. Eric Blair. Oh, man, this is awesome. I've worked for great leaders and managers and also not so great leaders and managers. Now that I'm in a leadership position, that's something I strive for. In my opinion, it's the only way to truly build a great professional business where employees come, grow and love working. Most don't realize the importance or don't have the grit to make it happen. Thanks for people. Oh, yeah, appreciate it. Nice, kind words. My Minnesotan uh, passive aggressiveness prevents me from reading any compliments about myself. John Pritt, Pritster, micromanagement is uh, necessary, in my opinion, for project managing to assure profits are maintained. That's a dude who's been in the industry lots of decades. Listen to John Pritt, the Pritster. John knows what he's talking about. Micromanaging on leadership is more coaching and teaching than micromanaging. Accountability is necessary for most people. Teach people how to be accountable and they pass the knowledge forward. Beautiful. All right, folks, let's dive into this. See, what I'm going to talk about today is uh, what I'm going to talk about today is, is something called situational leadership made famous by a book called uh, The One Minute Manager. Um, the really cool thing is uh, this book was given to me uh, by Heidi Petz, a person named Heidi Petz. Uh, she came through Minnesota. She worked for Sherwin-Williams at a very high level. And we had an absolutely awesome meeting with her. And I was just asking her like leadership questions over and over and over again, deep dive. I mean, she's at the highest level of a Fortune 200 company, multi-billion dollars. And when you get an opportunity like that, I'm squeezing that, that orange for all the juice that comes out of it. And I want to learn from this human. Um, and she talked about situational leadership. This is how good of a person this Heidi Petz is. Um, a week later, a package showed up and it was this book, uh, signed by her with a little note to me. Uh, she is now the CEO of Sherwin Williams. Uh, she was just, uh, brought into that position this last year. So, um, when somebody like that gives you a book like that, you're like, that is something you should probably read. And you guys know I'm famous for not reading many, many books. I've only read about three or four business books in the last seven years. Right. And I actually like reading them and doing stuff with them. Um, this is one that I'm still working through. This is my current book that I'm working through. So, uh, if you guys want any more information on this, you guys know, I don't endorse many business books. I endorse action and execution, which typically books slow people down for that. But this is actually a pretty practical book like that. Oh, next one. There we go. All right. So here we go. micromanagement or mismanagement, right? We knee jerk react that micromanagement is a bad thing. You know, we, we overlay feelings onto the word micromanagement. We overlay feelings into environmental protection, right? Everybody loves protecting the environment, but we have feelings about how it's executed and what that term uh, means in the real world here. So here's, I want to talk about I want to reframe, I don't think I'm going to reframe the entire argument, not in the, not in the business world, but at least in our little thiefdom of PCA and ask a painter, I want you guys to start thinking about micromanagement as a positive and mismanagement as the thing that everybody talks about of the horrible boss who's, who's not a good leader, right? So uh, micromanagement is defined uh, by a counter, it's a counterproductive management style, right? Excessive focus on observing and controlling subordinates, right? I don't hold on that. I don't necessarily know that that's a bad thing. Obsession with minor details at the expense of major details. That is the kicker right there. That is the kicker. Managers and leaders are supposed to ingrain themselves with the larger stuff, make sure the small stuff gets done, but so that it accomplishes something bigger. And I think that's one of the biggest drawbacks of micromanagement, which is they're doing their part to micromanage the thing, but they're not doing their job when they're 
they're attaching those things or making sure those things are moving towards a larger goal. Obsession with minor details at the expense of major details avoids delegation. Now, here's another thing too, where I, people are like, you need to delegate. I don't like that thing. So I'm just going to delegate it to somebody else. Delegation, delegation is completely different from handing something over to somebody who's unprepared and with no support, right? Delegation is giving a task to somebody who has the experience and knowledge and proven record to execute that task right? Decisions and levels of authority are mismatched. So one of the things we're going to talk about, you're going to see the through line through all this is who has the authority or who has the responsibility to make a decision. Micromanagers sometimes takes that authority to make the decisions and inappropriately gives to people who are not ready to make those decisions, right? Or inappropriately removes all the decision-making to themselves, uh, not giving people who are actually experts in it uh, the, the ability to do that. Unnecessarily and over-detailed reports, that's just, that could be make work, right? Um, focus on uh, procedural minutia, right? That is the bane of my existence, right? I was in the military for a bunch of years and, and military is procedural minutia. And that, that grinded my soul down to a pulp. I know it's good. I know it's good for some things, but not for me. And uh, one of the worst things about uh, micromanagers is they taking credits for wins and shift blames for losses, things like that. I will say this, when I read this list, half this stuff is like a trait of just a bad human who doesn't share your core values. Half the stuff is actually a pretty effective management style, if I'm being honest. You have to ask yourself, who's who makes the decisions? That's the biggest part. And what we talk about today is you're going to see that ball of decisions being shifted or passed from person to person. Our job as managers and leaders is to make sure that ball of decision-making responsibility gets passed to the correct person. All right? Now... I'm going to say a bunch of things you guys already know. We win with humans, right? What you're not going to hear today about is an app, right? I do mention the book. I mention it begrudgingly because sometimes people stop listening to all this stuff and they don't think about action and they just go get the book and then wait to read it and then hope the book does it. It's all execution, everybody. It's all execution. We win with humans, right? All our paint is consistent. We buy all the same pants. We buy all the same brushes. We have all access to all the same software. We win with our humans and the management and the inspiration of those humans. There is no secrets, secrets except for consistent execution. So we have to talk about technicians versus managers versus leaders, right? You may say, you know, management, manage other people. There are very few people who are actually true managers. You have to understand that. And the one thing I want to drill in everybody's head is just because somebody's been doing a job for a while doesn't mean they're automatically a manager. What I want you to know, my experience has been, there is a huge difference between a technician, a manager, and a leader. A lot of times there are different personalities and different risk and reward profiles for each one. This is not a value judgment that says just because you're not able to manage doesn't mean you're a good person or an ex excellent at your job. There can be technicians that do computer coding and sales and make millions and millions of dollars a year and be recognized as world-class. Can they manage? Maybe, maybe not. There's some people who are just really, really good executors out there, right? They just execute at a super high level. There's some people that cannot function in a normal job, but they can manage the pants off of other people all the time and get the best out of everybody. So there's very different things. Everybody has a different value. But you got to start thinking about lumping people into technicians, managers, and leaders. I believe technicians are there to fulfill the promise, 
right? The craft excellence. So think about our, our, um, our, our painters. The managers are there for accountability to make sure the technicians fulfill the promise. The leader is there to inspire the managers and the technicians so that, that they can accomplish a bigger goal. Remember, leaders and managers should be thinking about the larger task. We need to hit a gross profit on a job, managers. Leader, we need to hit all gross profit on all the jobs so that this company will stay in existence so that we can grow, so we can pour money into training. We need to, we need to have appropriate scope responsibility for all this stuff. Management is actions. It is not humans. Just because you call somebody a manager doesn't mean they are. Management is the action of managing humans and is not an actual human. So let's say you've been called a micromanager, right? Let's just say like, oh, that person micromanages. I will first say this. Do not take that as truth, right? What I've experienced and I've seen in a lot of other companies is that sometimes, most of the time, when a really good manager or boss is called a micromanager and you know you see on the resume i've had problems with management or management did this and that so i quit a job i'm gonna be very honest with you guys sometimes those are bad employees that don't take accountability well accountability is a son of a bitch, right i've seen humans stand in front of me and when you hold them accountable to some of the basic things that they agreed to for their job they break one of two ways Above the line, they take ownership, accountability, and responsibility. They break the other way, blame, excuse, deny. Hey, listen, I've noticed that you're uh, late for work quite a bit. Well, listen, I don't know what you want me to do. The roads are snowy, and then my alarm goes off, and it was a long way to drive there. Blame, excuse, deny. Hey, listen, my apologies. I've not been feeling well. Um, I'm going to work on that. I'm going to try out a new alarm. I'm going to get my morning routine down, and it won't happen again. Ownership, accountability, responsibility. Right person? wrong person. One thing I want you guys to know is that just because you're called a micromanager might be because you're actually doing your job holding people accountable to some basic things. I say accountability is a son of a bitch because people react pretty violently one of two ways. And people are very consistent in how they do that. Typically, a person who reacts to accountability below the line will always say, I had a problem with management. Management and I didn't see eye to eye. They're all micromanagers, things like that. The right person says, I really enjoy the support and what my manager actually does for me is give me reach goals and helps me, shows me the things I'm not doing well, shows me the things I'm doing well and guides me to a larger purpose. I've seen people react to accountability in a lot of pretty amazing ways, right? To the point of even getting very emotional where they couldn't even contain themselves. So just because somebody calls you a micromanager, number one, I would say, depending on the context, thank you. <laughs> I spent a lot of time thinking about management and especially the micro things also the macro things, um, sometimes you might be, sometimes you might be mismanaging, right? You just have to be open to that too. Um, what I don't, what I don't want to do is, is start a rift between people who sign the fronts of checks and people who sign the backs of checks. This isn't a employer versus employee thing. This is a, we, we want to make sure that we get right person, right seat, with the right system, with the right management, right? So yes, it can be the employee's fault, right? But it can also be the manager's fault. We have to have the right person in the right seat, but also the manager has to have the right system and the right style of management, which we're going to talk about today. I will be honest with you. Most paint companies, all the friction you're feeling is not because of technicians typically. It's not because of leadership. It's typically because of management. In a small paint company, 
You may be the leader and the manager, and you may have one or two technicians with you. Guess what? You're probably thinking about the 10-year plan. You're probably researching apps. You're probably thinking about big relationships. You're completely forgetting to manage. I'm going to be very honest with you. That was one of the shortcomings in my businesses for the longest time. Um, we just didn't have the bandwidth to manage people properly. And we do now, and we're seeing some great results out of it. So number one, before we even talk about the management style, you have to make sure you get the right human in the right seat. Do you need an estimator? Have you set the comp plan up right? Have you instructed them well? Have you onboarded them? Have you trained them? Are you supporting them currently? Is that the right human to even be there, right? An estimator is different from a salesperson. A salesperson is different from an estimator. If you put an estimator in a salesperson's seat, they're not going to work out very well, right? So GWC, get it, want it, uh, capacity for it. Judging if you have the right person. Do they get it? Do they have deep, meaningful understanding of the seat of the job? Do they want it? Can they bring their whole self to the job each day, the energy and the pace? Do they have the capacity for it, a mental, emotional, physical, and time capacity to do the job and do it well? Those are all things you have to check out first, right? This is situational leadership. And we all love fancy graphs and all this and that. This is not mine. This is you know the book, the situational leadership. Situational leadership is adapting your style of leadership to the situation based on the needs of your team. And the needs of your team are basically, are they experienced? Are they good? Are they motivated? And based on the higher low levels of those, you basically have four choices of management. And we're going to talk about those today. Uh, I tell you what, before we do that, let's go through some, man, we got some thoughtful comments here. Thank you everybody for watching on IG. Absolutely love this. Uh, share it, put it in the old uh, uh, story, put it in the feed there. Uh, also, oh, people watching in Brazil, uh, dia, my friends all down in Brazil. I have a potential November trip to Brazil coming up. Uh, lots of exciting stuff. Let's see if we got some more here. Uh, Jones custom murals. Good morning. Uh, Ron Gerhardt's good morning to you. Scott McDowell, interesting perspective. I agree with your perspective as well. I feel that micromanagement is carried out can be good or bad. I've had numerous managers in other industries that would micromanage and it, uh, it left a bad taste in my mouth. Maybe it was more in the manner in which it was done. Any tips or advice on how to micromanage in a respectful manner that doesn't breed discontent? Yes. We're going to talk about the four management styles and it's, I love data plus feelings. The feelings is how do you support your people? But I don't want to be taken advantage of as an employer and just get run over. These four styles, when you see them, you could overlay those four styles on any of your people and uh, pick the right management style. Jesse Allen, head our employees read the one minute manager. Employees read it so they know where they're coming from. Helps make a solid connection between leadership team and employees. Phil Klein, the man, the man. Love this book. No surprise there, Phil. You're a good manager, a good leader. Um, <laughs> no, books are no good if you don't walk away with actions to execute. One of my lessons from 2023. Yep, that's one of those things where I have a uh, visceral reaction to people who uh, say, I read 42 books this year. And then my next question would always be, listen, no, that's impressive. I'm, I'm glad you're reading. What have you done with those things? It's basically just a stunt if you don't actually get some stuff done. So Don Mendez, my biggest problem is management. Knowing that and saying it out loud is sometimes the first most important step. <laughs> Jason Webb, always in there, always watching, always following. Good morning, everybody. Annie Newton. Good morning, Annie Newton. Uh, hopefully we'll be seeing you at the expo coming up here. Annie, I know we're going to have a busy couple of weeks here. Uh, can't wait for it, everybody. All right, let's let's jump into the four styles of leadership here. And then uh, I'll take any and all of your questions here as well from Instagram, from LinkedIn, from YouTube, and from Facebook.
So there's four quadrants, S1, S2, S3, S4. S1 is telling, directing, and guiding. So I've I've taken from the book, I've taken from online resources, I've taken from my own experience, and I've kind of made a quick checklist here for you guys. I had a really big problem trying to condense down all this information, right? Because there's there's so many nuances and things like that. You guys will have this afterwards, and uh, you can go back and replay this thing. Um, it's a short-term approach, right? When you're S1, you're in the, the red quadrant right there. This is not something you want to be in very long, right? It's a short-term approach intended to alleviate insecurity and ensure the team is going in the right direction. This is only meant to be temporary, right? Where you're basically getting in there and kind of doing it with them, showing them how to do it, supporting them, guiding them. This is legitimately, honestly, my apprenticeship program. The, the first week when you're in my shop in my training facility, S1, baby, hardcore S1. The team requires close supervision and constant guidance. Confidence is impacted as well. Uh, they don't want to let others down. So uh, constant support, constant guiding, constant reassurance as well too. Uh, ability to make mistakes and not get yelled at is a big thing. Leaders make decisions and communicate with the team. You're not asking people in the S1 quadrant, brand new apprentices in my company to make the decisions. You're telling them exactly what to do, showing them how to do it, and even helping them with it. Uh, Use when repetitive results are needed and the team is at the, the novice level, right? Uh, leaders closely supervise execution, acknowledge it and recognize it and boost confidence and commitment. So you're, you're literally, this is the definition of shoulder to shoulder. When I say all this stuff, you can recognize the problems with the trade industry, which is I'm going to hire young Carol and I'm going to bring her in. I'm going to hand her a putty knife. I'm going to send her out to the field and hopefully she learns how to paint and good luck. This is the worst thing you could do for a novice team. You need to be right there shoulder to shoulder, making the decisions for them and then showing them how to do the things. This is short-term approach. And all you want to do is create movement. You're just making movement, making movement forward in your direction. Don't use it when your team has task-specific ability, willingness, or enjoys it. So here's the deal. If you have a team that knows how to do this stuff, paint, paint the walls in a bedroom, has the willingness to do it and enjoys it, you should not be in there shoulder to shoulder showing them how to do that stuff. That's um, That can be taken as uh, as micromanagement, right? So there's, there's a line. When your people can do these tasks, you need to start moving them to the other quadrants. And that is the goal of this entire thing. If I'm being honest, you want to move them as quickly from S1 to S4 as possible, right? That is the goal of every single company on the planet. Um, the quicker employees, for anybody who might be a W2 employee out there, the quicker you can move from S1 to S4, the more valuable you are, right? And there's going to be companies here to support you, but it's a partnership. You got to do some stuff yourself. You got to take a little risk to get there. I'll get to some questions after this in a little bit here. Let's go to S2, baby. All right, S2, selling, coaching, and explaining. S2 is a teaching style. Leaders use their expertise to accelerate growth and reduce the time to autonomy. So now that people know some specific tasks, now you can get in there and force multiply. You can, you can accelerate that. You want them to move through that um, situational leadership curve as fast as possible. Use for teams that don't know what to do, but are eager to learn. So again, they may know some basic things. They got the commitment. They got the eagerness. And you got to get in there and keep them moving through that quadrant. You know, leadership maintains control of decision making process, but then provides the background. So you're still making the decisions as their leader, and and uh, but you're also explaining why those decisions are even there, how you make the decision, and what the outcome of that decision was. The leader engages with the followers to reinforce buy-in and continued progress. So again, you're still not hands off, people. You're engaging with them. 
but you may not just be doing it for them or, or right next to them. Involved in the team discussion of why decisions are made, team has questions and responds positively to opportunities for discussion. So now in, in quadrant S1, what you may have is people that are very self-conscious and very slow moving. You really got to get in there and lead the way, right? In S2, they have a certain level of confidence and comfortability where now they enjoy these discussions and they start having questions and, and you start opening this, uh, you, you start uh, leaning into their curiosity about the craft and things like that. Uh, the team has questions. Uh, don't confuse enthusiasm with expertise though. That was a, that was something that I took away from, um, from my interpretation of this, which is you get somebody who's like, yeah, let's go do this. Like, I love that. Maintain that, but let's do it together right? Or let's coach you in a very high way. We'll sell it. We'll coach it. We'll explain it to you. Things like that. S2 does not align well with followers who have moderate to high amounts of task-related knowledge, experience, and skills. So again, if you have somebody who's an absolute self-starter, a killer, and knows exactly what they're doing, you got to be careful how much you coach in there and explain to people. Some people can actually take that personally. So S3, participating, collaborating, facilitating. S3 puts the leader and the team on equal footing. So now S1, you're basically telling them to do it, doing it with them. S2, you're kind of standing by, you're making the decision, but you're kind of letting them an inside peek there. On S3, now you're on equal footing. The decision responsibility moves kind of between you guys and you're there to highly support. In S1, you have the decision. You don't. They don't even know what decision's being made. They don't know why you make it. S2, the decision is still yours as the manager and the leader, but you're kind of explaining to them why it's there. You're showing me a little peek behind the curtain. In S3, now you're on equal ground. Either of you can make the decision, but it's a it's a supportive nature. So the leader's responsibility is to ensure the team considers alternatives before committing. So um, you're now explaining the deeper process of your decision-making process. You're leading by example, showing them what it is to be a true manager, which you are. Team is competent in particular tasks, but does not have the willingness or confidence needed to complete them. So again, you have people who are good executors, but just need, um, they're, they're not confident in the direction and you have to apply that direction. Leaders listen to team describe a challenge or opportunity with a particular task and then facilitate the team in making the decision. So uh, one of the best college um, professors I ever had was my um, creative writing, literature, poetry, um, you know, theater sort of guy. And he was the best I would consider I've ever encountered at this. He taught by only asking questions. So he was, he was S3 in me to death in college about, he, he wasn't there showing me how to write a sentence. He wasn't even there coaching, making the decision for me. He literally asked me a series of questions and I came upon the answers myself or tried to come upon the answers myself. That is a beautiful leadership style that I aspire to very, very highly. And his voice was that perfectly. I don't know that my voice as a leader is quite that, but it should be some of that, right? Use teams who have proven they can produce results on a sustained level, but struggle with the confidence to do it on their own, right? So what we'll find here, I'm going to show you true examples from my company with this stuff, but you, you get people who can do the tasks. They just need to put all the tasks together and, and complete them all in one big lump. Decision is the, is the responsibility of the team, right? But you're there guiding, holding their hand the entire way. S3 frustrates and increases anxiety with the team that does not know what uh, decision to make or does not have the experience to make it, right? So now the problem is if you S3 somebody when they should be S2'd, they're going to feel very self-conscious. There's going to be lots of stress. You're pushing them out of the nest too soon, right? If 
if somebody is not confident in making the decision on their own, you got to give them a lot more coaching so that they understand the process to make that decision all on their own. S4, baby, here's the good one. This is autonomy or semi-autonomy, right? Delegating, empowering, and monitoring. Decision-making is the team's responsibility. It's not your anymore. It's their responsibility uh, to make the decision. Uh, the leader meets with the team, but primarily to see that the, that the team has learned and to see if they need any support to move forward. The team is efficient and effective and requires little guidance. They are self-starting. They take accountability really well. They get results without you having to constantly hold their hand to get results. The team is trusted to not only make task-related decisions, but to suggest strategies for improvement and identity and identify the best practices. So when you think about like apprentices in my company, this would not be appropriate for them. For the board of directors of the PCA, when everybody is uh, absolute killers like that, this is one of those things where we actually come and start suggesting strategies. And then when we give e when we when we have a strategy and we delegate all the tasks, the tasks get done. But the board chair and all the other officers and directors are there to support all the other people there. Uh, the uh, leaders allow the team to make the decisions and be there to support. Teams have demonstrated demonstrated mastery of the tasks. Right, ultimate demonstration of trust. This is, this is one of the coolest sentences I heard, and I did copy and paste this in here from an online resource that I use with situational leadership. This is a really cool thing, um, and, and, and it's, it's one of the most beautiful sort of manager and leadership sentences if you're in the right situation and it's appropriate, which is, you know what to do because I've seen you do it repeatedly. I'm here if you need me, but you've earned the right to make the decision. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? For your experts, for the people who are self-starting, take accountability, constantly go out of their way to do stuff, that's the kind of thing that they want to hear, right? S4 can be abdication or abandonment for unskilled or inexperienced teams. This is one of the most important lines in this entire show today, which is, remember, technician, manager, leader. As business owners, we typically start as a technician and we're the leader. We don't have to manage ourselves typically like that. We start adding employees in, we step away from being a technician, we're still a leader. Nobody's managing these people. We go immediately from where we should be S1-ing these people, pushing them into S2. Within a day, a few days of their employment, we're throwing them into S4 saying, you make all the decisions, you just solve this problem for me, when that's not what these people are set up to do. They may be incompetent. They may not be the right people for the right seat. But when they are, you have just set them up to fail. One of the biggest problems in our entire industry is S4ing people way sooner, way sooner than we should, right? This can take a long time. This could take decades to get somebody to the point of being S4. Could also take six months, right? But it's largely up to them, their proclivity for risk, their work ethic, their pain tolerance, and their ability to execute, right? It's just their ability to execute. So... S4 can be abdication and abandonment. Abdication, think about when king and queens abdicate the throne, right? They abdicate, they give it up. Listen, estimating is something I don't like doing. I'm going to hire an estimator and you can either walk them through S1, S2, S3, S4, or you hate training, you hate accountability, you hate management. So you hire them and say, please just do all the estimating and send in the numbers. Maybe that'll work, but you're going to pay a high price for somebody else to solve your problems for you. And actually, if we're being honest, there's very few people that will go out and solve problems on their own on your behalf. 
It's just not going to happen. You need to S1, S2, S3, S4 them as quickly as possible. Sometimes that can take 30 years for people. Sometimes that can take a week. It can take a matter of a day too with the right uh, training program. It might be abandonment. If you take a young apprentice who took the risk to come to the trades and join you in this beautiful craft, and then you abdicate your responsibility as a manager, they will feel abandoned. Magically, these people leave, right? So this is exactly the data and the feelings. The feelings is when I get young people in the company, they got no work ethic. They show up work too late. They don't listen to what I do. And then they leave two weeks later. I would say if that happens and you have a pay scale based on data, a training process, onboarding process, regular meeting process, standard operating procedures, and you're a true manager, that's S1, S2, S3, S4ing them, that was a bad employee. If you don't have any of those things and that situation takes place with that employee, I don't think you know if that was a good employee or not until you have all those things. Everybody deserves a good manager and a good leader, right? Do not abdicate. Do not abandon your humans, right? Ever, ever. So when you think about estimating the owner, the craftspeople and the production, these are the four legs of the table of my company like that. I treat each human differently, right? Within my managers, I treat them differently. S1, S2, S3, S4, or I try to the best I can. I'm not a fully developed manager and leader yet. We're working on that. With my painters, some are S1, some are S4. With my managers, some are S1, some are S4. It just, it really depends on the human. So just because somebody has a particular job, I don't, I don't treat all my production people as S3s or S4s. I do it based on the human. That is situational leadership. You're looking at the task. You're looking at the human and saying, what does this human need right now? And pick one, S1, S2, S3, S4, right? So before I talk about some examples of my company, let's go through some comments here. Mike Kremswriter. How would you translate these to subcontractors? So legally you wouldn't, right? If we follow the letter of the law, you're not supposed to tell a subcontractor, at least by Minnesota standards, what to do, where to do, when to do it, how to do it. But we, we, we have to, I mean, that's being a good manager of this sort of thing. Um, we have, this is, this is no different. People always think there's this huge difference between employees and subs. There is not. Everybody needs a manager just because they're a subcontractor doesn't mean they're going to solve all your problems for you. They can actually make more without good management, but management, you know, by the legal terms, what we can do with subcontracting is one thing. Management being a good manager and a leader on a human to human basis is, is a lot different than what the law allows. I want to create a long-term relationship where this person feels supported fully, right? If you want to go strict with the law, when somebody comes, when, if some contractor were to call me up and say, Hey, Mr. Slavic, how do we get to this portion of the house? I would say legally, I can't tell you that's BS. That's complete BS. The golden rule, you help these people, right? Now there are also ways that a lot of humans skirt these laws and, and completely abuse the subcontractor contractor relationship. But Mike, there's no difference between how I would do this. I can take all of my subcontractors and put them literally into S1, S2, S3, S4, give or take. Now, here's the development scale on the bottom. I'm just going to show you uh, how people move through here. Uh, a couple more questions and comments. Thanks, everybody, for watching on IG. Thanks, everybody, for watching on Facebook. We have a lot of people here. So I think uh, a lot of us could ask, how do you integrate improved management and coaching with managers with execution 
uh, with executing your business, especially when winter's off season is demanding. Yeah, just so Lauren, here's the deal. I mean, I'm, I'm going to say things we all know, and I appreciate the question. You already know the answer, which is you just have to do it. You just have to do it. There's no excuse. You can't put management on hiatus because we're busy. Um, I would say busy time is when the true managers need to come out. And um, there's one thing um, that I, I'm, I'm kind of careful to say in the industry, but is actually a true thing. And I think you guys will understand um, what I mean when I say it, which is at some point, if you're a business owner, there's just some things you need to solve, right? You're going to have to find labor. You're going to have to find jobs. You're going to have to manage both of those and coordinate both of those. And you're going to have to do it all the time, constantly, forever. If you think somebody's going to solve your labor problem or solve your job problem or solve your logistics problem for you, it's not. Nobody's going to do that for you. Perhaps you find somebody that might be able to solve this for you. It's freaking expensive to get somebody to do stuff for you like that. You are a business owner. And I'm not talking to you, Lauren. I'm talking to everybody. These are things that I say to myself, so I feel comfortable saying them to you. You're a business owner. There's some things you're just going to have to do. You're going to have to work more hours. You're going to have to take more risk. You're just going to have to solve some things, right? And there is no time to put management on hold. One of the things I'm going to talk about at the PCA Expo for my closing speech is just that. I'm going to give you an example of when I put management on hold for a while and what happened because of it. And uh, it's interesting, right? You just have to. You just have to do it. There's things you just need to freaking do as a business owner, right? Nobody's going to do them for you. If you want the right for the, if you want the privilege, the potential of getting the net profit from one of these things, you need to be exceptional, right? And exceptional isn't Superman. Exceptional is only 7% of all businesses in the United States employ more than 10 or 20 employees, right? That tells you how hard this is. You just need to be exceptional. If you are not exceptional, you don't, don't even have to be exceptional in painting. You might be an exceptional manager. You don't need to have any knowledge of paint. You might be an exceptional painter. Now you need to train yourself to be a manager. Technicians, managers, and leaders need to exist in a business. I'm looking down the list of everybody here. You guys are exceptional at something. I know all of you personally. There's a lot of painting companies out there who are not exceptional at things or are exceptional at something and don't know it. It's good to know what you're exceptional at and lean into the other part and get it solved for your business. Because just because you don't like accounting and job costing doesn't mean it can't exist. And it's likely nobody's going to do it for you, right? You need to be a manager. There's some things you need to do. Put on your big boy and big girl pants and just get out there and do it. There's no excuses. There's nobody going to be here to, well, I can't say there's nobody going to be here to help you. There's thousands of people here to help you, including me. Nobody's going to do it for you though. So in my company, Apprentice, you come in and you're at the D1, the development. This is your S1 right here. High guidance. You're just in there doing it with them like that. You come in as an apprentice. This is exactly what we do for you. Then you become a craftsperson in my company, right? So all of a sudden, it's like you, you know some tasks, but you just need the help to kind of put it all together. So think about a large, you know, six-week Victorian mansion restoration. You know each task well, but you just need help with all that stuff. Next one, master craftsperson. So now, now you can do, you have task mastery. We start letting you make a lot of the decisions, but still you're not managing others. Maybe you can, you can do some light management of others. Maybe some of the decisions are to have other people like uh, direct reports to you start doing some stuff. You're not quite yet a true manager yet, but as a master craftsperson, you have the potential now as you move through the quadrants uh, to be a manager. And then once you have task mastery, once you are a self-starter, once you have proven 
that you are a consistent professional, you get results every single time. Now you get to see if you can do that through others. And now that is not one more step in the thing. I would argue there's a huge gap between S1, S2, S3 people in those quadrants and people who truly make it to S4. It should be a little quadrant all by itself. That's been my experience. So again, what I what I want you guys to know is that I have a pretty interesting data set of companies that I go around the country and we talk about. They have people in their company operating for a long time. They try to make a managers of other people. And that person bugs out, flakes out, high anxiety, ends up leaving the company, hating the painting industry because one of two things happen. They were never meant to be a manager. They don't have the profile for it or they weren't set up to win by their company. They didn't have the management because I would argue when you become a painter, you work through the four quadrants in my company. And then when you start over as a manager, you got to start over at S1, baby. You're going back through all those quadrants because it's a new skill. You do not have expertise in this sort of thing. So over the last couple of years, I've took myself through a leadership quadrant. I've also taken myself through a management quadrant as well. You know, um, The painter S's, the, the painter quadrant was solved for me 20 years ago, right? I, I can self-start, I can solve problems, I can even lead other people in it. Now, uh, I think I had a pretty good handle on the leadership one for, for a decade, and I had to put myself back through the management one of teaching myself like that with the help of a lot of other people, obviously. So leadership lessons learned, let's think about, uh, let's look at some comments here first real quick. Man, I love all the comments today. This fires you guys up. I'm glad you like this. So Jeffrey uh, Gomez, good morning. Dylan, have you used Togal AI and takeoff software that automates paint takeoffs? No, I have not. Uh, Chris Ricker, uh, an approach I use is graceful build paint technicians into leaders. When they're called uh, with problems, ask, what do you think the solution is? If good, awesome. I like your solution. Let's run with it. That to me feels like a very supportive boss right there, asking them for input. That's a big thing. And I think you're going to find this even more so with um, uh, millennials, certainly, but Gen Z and younger too. This is like a big thing. You do that, you're going to win more often than you lose. Phil Klein, love it, buddy. Appreciate it. Praise coming from you is a big thing. How do you find standards for each proficiency level and decide when to progress them? So here's the deal. It's you could have a thousand proficiencies. You need to be able to cut a hundred linear feet of interior drywall with this brush and this paint and X amount of time to this. Or you can just say, here's an attendance standard for my company, and here's a project budget um, schedule, or here's a project budget standard for my company. I'm here to support you in the task. Go out and practice, hit those two things, and we'll make that. So you want you want metrics that are sort of like overarching. When I say what I found is that I do not need to hold my people to a quality standard. They naturally do that because of the systems we've created. The time budget thing is the thing we do hold them to. If they hit their budgets, magically, they're doing really good work as well, too. The people who have stayed here long enough. So we set up systems that kind of like self-regulate a little bit in that way. Do, 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 do. Oh my God, Russell Lindsay, do you know a specific class at the expo that would recommend to help me become a better leader? So I don't have the schedule in front of me here. My recall is that there's at least four classes that particularly pertain to exactly this. Um, side note is uh, last last um, episode, last week of Ask a Painter, we went through the, um, the prep uh, show for that. I went through the entire schedule with you guys, highlighted the topics and the, and the, the people who are going to be speaking there and things like that. I will tell you what the biggest leadership lessons I've learned, like I've learned about things like situational leadership and things like that from being at the expo. I've learned how to be a better situational leader by the humans there. So Russell, honestly, 
I would seek out as many people as you can with lots of direct reports and ask them how they situationally manage and lead their people or their tasks like that. Um, you will not be disappointed because there's there's getting the knowledge and then getting the wisdom behind it. And uh, those are two very different things. Dave Pine, how's it going, my friend? I love the fact that no matter how long it's been between watching your show, I always get something out of it when I tune in. You got it, man. I'm here for you. You know how it works. What is the most, uh, Noah, what's up, man? What is the most important thing to know about yourself to become a better manager of people? I like brutalism. Um, there is a, <laughs> we're getting towards the end of the show. So now Nick gets super introspective. Um, so I love brutalism. Um, there's a thing I learned in life where most people, when they come to me as a manager or leader, or is even the ask a painter guy, some people want comfort and some people want solutions. Guess what the ratio is of people who want comfort versus solutions. It's probably 80, 20, 80% of the people want to commiserate. They want to talk about how hard this is. And they want to hear somebody else talk about how hard it is. This is not me saying that's bad. I do that as well. That's very cathartic. It's useful as a manager and leader. But where I find value in brutalism is I don't want comfort. I want solutions and I want real solutions. That's why um, I've actually had to change my style of communication because when people would give me a compliment, I would brush it aside or downplay it. And some people that I care about very deeply came to me and pulled me aside like, Nick, you can't do that. You need to thank people when they compliment you. It took them a lot to say that to you. And it's very meaningful. So you can't just say, nah, nah, that's just a thing. Ah, no, come on. That's not me or yeah, yeah, whatever. You can't brush it aside. You need to say, hey, thank you for that. I really do appreciate that. And showing that appreciation is good management. Again, when you talk about the quadrants, that's acknowledging that they did that thing and supporting them in it, right? What's the most important thing to know about yourself to become a better manager? Most of us are just dog shit at this. <laughs> we are just bad at this. Just because somebody's been in your business for eight years, just because somebody's been doing something for eight years, doesn't mean they're even the slightest bit started on their path to being a manager, right? Some of the things I say are kind of harsh, but they are true, right? To find a true manager, like when you're looking at somebody's resume, just because they got 22 years of experience in something, they may be, they may not even have started on their management path like that. Knowing that you're likely very bad at this and that nobody's going to solve it for you is the brutalism that I love. Because in our industry, most of us are great technicians. And then we end up owning a business because we can't find a good business to work for. We, a lot of us, if we're being honest, guys, we're never set up to be managers. One of the hardest tasks of my professional life was transitioning from leader technician. I started the business, I'm the leader. No problem with vision, no problem with technician. Filling in the gaps with management has been literally the hardest task of my life because that is not my personality. I'm not set up for this. And in fact, most people with a lot of experience would argue that this is actually not a good use of my time to try to transition from a leader to a manager. That is what my company needs, all right? And I believe I can do it. I'm showing signs that I can do it. We've been getting really good results. And I know that people can do it. And I think it's one of the higher challenges that I really enjoy. 
So Noah, God, I could talk about this for another hour. I've literally martyred myself over the last bunch of years to try to find my voice as a leader and try to find ways that I can lead my people in the finest way. And I will tell you this, knowing that you're probably bad at this and that nobody's going to solve it for you and you're not going to be able to pay somebody to solve it for you. And if you try to pay somebody to solve it for you, you're going to be heartbroken. Knowing that and then moving forward, being a manager yourself is kind of a useful thing. Doesn't matter if you like it. Doesn't matter if you're good at it. Until you have a, some would argue, four, five, six million dollar business, you're not going to be able to afford a real manager to do the things that you want to get done. So if you think you're going to cowboy to a million dollar paint business and hire somebody to run it for you, you're wrong. You're not going to do that. You can't afford a true manager at that point. That is just brutalism. That is just a real thing. It's a math problem. It's not a feeling. It's not an opinion. It's a math problem, right? It's a big thing. So just know that if, if you guys operate in this industry and you're under somewhere between four and $5 million, you have to be the manager. Doesn't matter if you're good at it. Doesn't matter if you like doing it, you have to do it. So we're all here. Let's all help each other. Very few of us. No, I shouldn't say that. There's a good chance some of us will be able to transform from leaders and technicians into managers, but it's going to take a lot of work. And again, some of the best advice I've ever got is this is hard. Only 7% of all businesses in the United States, not just paint businesses, have ever employed more than 10 or 20 people. So good luck out there. It's hard, but I love it. And I love brutalism. Noah, we could talk about this for hours. Chris Kent, what's up, man? So true, I, I'm learning to walk the careful line between acknowledging and developing my weaknesses and slipping into self-deprecating thoughts. That's it. I, I believe a, a good leader has a healthy amount of uh, self-doubt, but uses it for good and not evil. It doesn't debilitate you. It gives you energy. And I think that's one of uh, my developed skills or maybe one of the biological lucks that I have in life, which is that self-doubt, that that constant monologue I have in my head does not debilitate me. It actually gets me going and uh, it makes me want to wake up earlier and do better things for my people. Scott McDowell, a good facilitator and manager seems uh, like the biggest uh, challenge between that band of visionary and technician as a small business uh, that seems like the biggest hurdle. It is. And, and the race to afford one because I mean, even estimators and project managers at some point are just technicians. If they don't have direct reports, they're just technicians that do a higher order of task or a more difficult task or have more responsibility in decision making. But there's very few managers. A manager has direct reports and inspires them and gets the most out of them and guides them along S1, S2, S3, S4, things like that. 95 grand a year for a good PM uh, in SoCal. I don't. I think you can even take SoCal off that. I would say that's probably, you know, you're probably looking at minimum 60 and 70, maximum 150 for an estimator or a project manager at a very high scale if they can ever make it to S4. If you have a project manager or an estimator that's stuck in S2 or S3, I would say they're not worth it. They're not worth that. If you constantly have to, once you start getting into big boy money, 80,000 plus, with a lot of responsibility, you got an S4, baby. You got to be an S4. And if you're not an S4, you're dragging down your manager. You need to be put back in S2 maybe uh, for something like that. <laughs> On the grind it is. And, and you know, Noah, here's the deal, man. It's not a grind. Remember? A grind. You know what I mean when I say this. We own businesses. 
this is part of it. Whether we knew it was part of it or not, this is part of it, right? If you own a bank, there's a certain regulatory process. Just because you don't like federal regulation or you're not good at it doesn't mean it has to, doesn't have to be done. And there's no excuse if you didn't know it had to exist. I would argue most paint businesses don't know that managing management needs to exist, right? We're typically leaders and we're typically technicians and we completely leave everything out in the middle. And John Pritt, the Prittster, brutalism. I like brutalism. I like brutalism a great deal. All right. Leadership and management lessons learned. True management managers are rare. Now you need to lead with empathy. This is where me finding my voice. There's apathy and there's empathy. Empathy, I don't know if anybody can truly be empathetic uh, to somebody and truly understand the feelings of others. You can assume the feelings of others. You can assume you know what they feel, but empathy is truly trying to get on the same level of feelings with the person. Apathy is I have no feelings towards you and I can't even begin to feel your feelings. As a manager and a leader, you need to find that sort of like scale under where is your voice? Some people lead with true empathy and they're inspiring. I've seen military leaders lead with empathy, but they do it in a certain way that is their voice, but they still hold the standard. There's a way where you lead with empathy where you get run over and taken advantage of as an employer, right? I would argue most of the trades is led with apathy, which is I don't give a shit about your feelings. You're going to do this for me and you're going to do it a lot and you're going to solve it all on your own. I'm going to S for you before you're ready. I'm going to get pissed off with no empathy and no coaching when you don't. And then this stupid young kid left my business, right? You S for them before they should. They did have not have a manager. The manager they did have was completely apathetic. Magically, the young person didn't hang around very long, right? Assume positive intent. I got this from my favorite elementary school principal, Mr. Dave Giesen, who lives right down the road from me, who's a principal for all my kids. API, assume positive intent. When you look at those grids, S1, S2, S3, S4, when somebody gets anxious, when somebody is not confident, it can sometimes come off as ego. Sometimes it can come off as them not taking accountability. You have to look through it. And as a true manager, one of the things we say a thousand times a week is API. If somebody says something that doesn't seem to align with our core values or a client doesn't respond well to some of the th processes that we have, start with API, assume positive intent, assume that this person has a positive intention in mind. And now when you give them your response, you've based it on, you're assuming they're positive, right? Until you're proven that they're negative. <laughs> Listen and answer questions. This is the thing that is the hardest thing for me to do. The problem with brutalism and, um, and wanting solutions and not comfort is that I assume everybody else likes that too. And that is 100% not the case. In fact, I would guess very few people in my life enjoy the level of brutalism and solution giving that I enjoy. Most people like a great deal of empathetic comfort, right? This, this is not good or bad. I'm not saying there's a value judgment. I'm saying that most people want comfort, not solutions. And you have to understand that giving them that comfort is sometimes the best way to manage them. And sometimes that's the way to solve the problem. And sometimes that's the way to get the most out of your people. Not everybody wants brutal solutions all the time, right? Uh, goals. You have to have low goals and high goals. You need to support your people with data. So we talk a lot about this squishiness of inspiration and apathy, empathy, and uh, accountability and decision-making and things like that. But you also have to have some data, which is in each of those squares, there should be a number that says, here's, you can't fall below this. There should be a number that says, here's a win. So you can put some data with the feelings. So you think about violations too. As a manager, 
you got to think about like how to come down hard on people. And this is a lesson where I always try to just decision tree stuff out in my head so I can comply with it, which is if you have somebody that has a technical violation, hey, they showed up late. You do not come down on them like a ton of bricks. It could be a very simple thing like their car wouldn't start. Their alarm didn't go off. Um, their uh, toilet was uh, uh, running constantly at their house and they noticed it before work. So they had to fix it real quick. So their water didn't run all day. But then there's core value violations, right? If somebody knowingly changes their time card and steals time, that is a core violation, core value violation. And you come down like a ton of bricks on them, right? And that was something where I came down on a ton of bricks for everybody, for everything all the time. If they held the brush wrong, I was there acting like they stole from the company. And that was not the case. So again, finding your voice as a leader and deciding, is this a core value violation or a technical violation? And then responding on that empathy, apathy scale uh, is a big thing. Tell them you appreciate them before you lose them. Um, this is something that I've known this is something I've not acted on for a lot of years, but I have in the past couple of years, which is I intentionally go to the people that matter to me most and I go out of my way to tell them I appreciate them before they either ask for it, need it, or before I lose them. It's a big thing. Um, this, I, I've been doing this for a while, but I went and saw um, the speaker we're going to have at the expo is the guy who actually drilled this home for me and then cemented it as the core of my leadership style. Um, he was saying the same thing, which is offer people help before they ask for it and tell them you like them before they need it, right? The same guy who like gave me that deeply meaningful sort of thing at, at the commercial forum this last year, he's actually going to be our speaker at the expo. He changed the way I lead my people. So that alone, folks, price of admission, the first person you're going to see on that stage I have the honor of introducing this person. This person is in a wheelchair. This person has one of the most inspiring stories I've ever heard. And he changed the way that I manage and lead my people. You are going to hear him. The first thing you do when we formally kick off the expo in a couple of weeks here, that's a huge thing. One-on-ones are huge. So think about connection and not meetings, right? I actually got rid of um, our weekly leadership team meeting. We don't have a meeting where we run through numbers anymore. I connect on a visceral personal, empathetic level with each of my managers in my company, with each of the people, my high level technicians in my company, once a week for some people, four times a year for other ones. And we completely got rid of a leadership team meeting because we basically handled all this in one-on-one. -on -one. So now what we do is I take my leadership team out to lunch every week. And we, I usually come with one little topic something there, but it is, I'm kind of S3ing them, which is, um, I kind of lay the ground. Uh, we start discussing some potential solutions and I see what they come up with. And then we, I guide them along the way and things like that. So, um, it's absolutely amazing thing connecting with your people regularly. If I'm being honest, some of these one-on-ones are basically comfort sessions and I don't mind it. I think one of the one of the things as a boss and a leader and a manager that I have to understand is that not everybody wants brutal solutions thrown in their face all the time, right? Sometimes the best way to lead people is to just sit there and listen and let them vent and support them there and be there for them. Hold the standards, set the goals. If they don't hit them, we got to talk about some technical things. But outside of that, sometimes the best way to lead your people is to empathize with them and just be open to that, right? Be open to that. And for my personality, that was a very hard thing to learn over the years for me. So 
humans move towards entropy, chaos, including ourselves, right? If humans are not led, if humans are not managed, they will move towards chaos. This is not a bad thing. This is what all things do. If, if my farm out here, if I do nothing to manage it, it will be a haunted house, field of thistles, run down shackle, shack, the land as well, that not even animals will be able to survive on. A highly managed, respectfully managed, empath empathetically managed property There'll be more plants. There'll be more bees. There'll be more lizards. There'll be more mammals. Everything will be better. The water will be cleaner. The plants will be more native and every, everything will be more useful to everybody, right? Everything moves towards entropy. Everybody needs accountability. So at the end of this folks, this is a long one today. I like this. I got, I could talk about this. This could just be ask a painter. Like the next 300 episodes could just be this. Uh, and, and my thoughts on all this in the end, are you a manager? Are you a mismanager? Are you a micromanager? Are you not even managing at all? That's a possibility. <coughs> Your management style might be, I am not managing at all. And that is a bigger problem than even mismanaging, right? You also have to question, is your team unmanageable, right? Do you have the wrong person in the wrong seat? Do you have the wrong system? Do you have the wrong management? The most important thing is just because you're called a micromanager, doesn't mean you're bad. You might actually be good. Depending on S1, if you have an employee that comes into your company and has never done this before, and has never been in the trades before, and never had a job that's based on data and metrics and not just time and feelings, you better micromanage them. That's exactly what S1 calls for. You're literally standing there shoulder to shoulder, making all the decisions for them, showing them how to do it, giving them that comfort, that empathy. If somebody during that time, if, if, if you're holding that young apprentice accountable, Hey man, you know, we start at seven, you were here at seven Oh four. We start at seven. If that, if that employee turns around and says, listen, management and I didn't see eye to eye, that's an unmanageable human. Are they above the line or below the line? But you make the choice. You decide whether you're a micromanager or not. You do not let those underneath you decide that, right? Now they may give you an accurate portrayal of you and the feedback from them might be accurate. You may be a mismanager, but I wouldn't tell, I wouldn't take if an, I'll be very sensitive when I say this, I interview lots of people, hundreds of people every year. Uh, the, the craziest through line through almost all these young people's resumes, they don't have a lot of life experience. They don't have a lot of job experience. They job hop every nine months. The through line through all those um, references are you can't call this person management and I didn't see eye to eye. There are, there's a very good chance that some of these were bad employers. More often than not, when this employer held people accountable, they acted below the line. And then now we had a micromanagement session where that employee feels micromanaged. Well, if micromanagement is asking you to show up on time and put in 40 hours a week and do the basic tasks of your job, that's not micromanagement. That is the finest management on the planet. And it depends on them how they react to it. So just be careful where you are on that. This is not me saying employees are bad. This is me saying there's just as many bad employers and managers as there are employees. And just because one employer says this, this employee is lazy, that might be the greatest employee on earth, but there's no coaching, no development, no situational leadership. Likewise for employees, they may say, oh, I got a micromanager. I, we, management and I didn't see eye to eye. Maybe management knew exactly what needed to be done and you just acted below the line. So whew, what a day, what a show folks. Tell people you appreciate it before you need them. That's it, man. I'm glad you pulled that out of there, Chris Ricker. 
best part, watch how they operate after this is delivered. Now, here's the other part about that. Do it consistently and mean it, be genuine. If you, if you text message your employee that you appreciate them every week and it's a copy and paste message, it's not genuine. I would, I would argue that may not be empathy. Truly appreciating them and letting them know is a big thing. And then doing consistently, honestly, is probably one of the best traits of leaders. One of the best traits of leaders. And I think you guys can understand how hard that was for me, which is I don't like compliments. I wouldn't want that stuff. Like, I don't think I was set up to understand how important those were. It's been really interesting journey for me as a manager and a leader, which is when I learned to do that for those who mean the most around me, I actually started appreciating those compliments more. And now when people email me, I get a hundred emails a week from people who lead with a compliment, tell me their life story, and then ask for some resources. I freaking love every one of those things. And before I used to just breeze through the compliments, get to the ask and make sure I, I gave them a solution, a brutal solution. And now um, in the past bunch of years, I really sit down and think. I look at their name. I look at where they're from. I look at the company name. I think about their life story. And I put it in context of where I was 15 years ago. And now they're deeply meaningful. So not only did I become a better manager by giving people compliments, I actually started to appreciate those compliments to myself more, uh, which I would argue is probably a good strategy, right? So doing it consistently. Chris, I'm so glad you pulled up on that thing that you picked that out of there. Getting better and not letting my empathy override my ability to hold accountability. Phil, that's what I know about you, man. You're one of the most giving humans on the planet. And uh, I have a trait of that too. Uh, I, I did a management arc probably about five or six years ago where I said, you know what? Brutal solutions are not what people want. I'm going to go all the way to the other end. I'm a teddy bear. Everybody took advantage of me. That was not great for them either. And it's not a poor me sort of thing. It's no, that's not what that's not a good way to manage either. Your people are not going to perform that way. They need a more structured boss who doesn't just say, yeah, do whatever you want. It's great. I know you're going to do fine. So Tyler, fellow Minnesota guy, fantastic show today. Got a lot of it. Man, guys, listen, if you liked anything you saw here, um, this is what we do at the retreat. This is the kind of stuff we talk at length about the retreat. We talk about legacy. We talk about leadership. We talk about all this stuff. Like, my God, man, this is yeah, I could, I could fire this stream up for another four hours and keep doing this, but I'm going to leave you guys with that, which is tell people you appreciate them before you lose them. And you'll take compliments better yourself too. So, all right, everybody, you have a good rest of the weekend. Get out there, be a manager, manage your humans, S1 them, S2 them, S3 them, S4 them, figure out on the empathy scale where you are, find your voice as a leader. I truly believe the way we change this industry is with management. Brutalism. Just get out there and manage. All right, everybody. Have a good weekend. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painted Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.